the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Hi there, everybody. Dennis Prager with you. I uh, look at the world, and my understanding of it is reinforced on an almost daily basis. You have to truly be an enormous fool to believe that human nature is essentially good. People who believe that believe it because they want to believe it. I don't know why they want to believe it. But they do, obviously, because there is literally no amount of cruelty, sadism, barbarity, evil in general committed by human beings to, against other human beings that would change their mind. There is no, no level of it. People are basically good, but you can walk into a, a family and murder the father, the mother, and the three children, as I have the story here of one such family in, uh, in Israel, a mother who was slaughtered by terrorists in Israel alongside her husband and three children sent a final WhatsApp message to her Australian friends to say her family was safe. When you see the picture, all I could do is think of the parents, if they're living, and I assume they are, it's a young couple. Can you imagine, those of you who are grandparents, can you imagine your child murdered, his or her husband murdered, your daughter or son-in-law, and your three grandchildren? For many, the greatest joy in their lives, the greatest loves of their lives, wiped out. Nothing left. The Lake Cubs, I assume it's, uh, let's see, is that, yeah, Lake Cub, L-A-C-O-B. That's the name of the couple. The Lake Cubs started to panic and tried contacting everyone they knew in the village to find out what was going on before they received the heartbreaking news that the 
safe room had been raided by militants. Tamar, her husband Johnny, their six-year-old daughters, Shachar and Arbel, and their two-year-old son Omer, had been murdered by Hamas terrorists. Daily Mail uses the word terrorist. The New York Times uses the word militant. Militant. <laughs> militant. How do you qualify to be a terrorist? Our hearts are shattered, Yishal wrote on Facebook on Monday. An entire family was killed by evil murderers who shot the children and parents simply because they were Jewish. That is my article today. I beg you to read it. German Nazism's successor, Islamic Nazism. And no more than every German was a Nazi, is every Muslim a Nazi? Of course not. But there is Islamic Nazism. The celebrations of, on the left in the world, celebration by Palestinian supporters of what happened, if that doesn't clue you in as to the moral degradation the idiots who write about the cycle of violence, like this fool who happens to be a professor of Jewish studies at UCLA, an enormous fool, gives you an idea of how it doesn't matter what department at UCLA or at most universities, you have a fool teaching your children. The cycle of violence, inability to say these are monsters, barbaric savages, can't say that. There were people on the left who opposed saying, calling these people savages or or inhuman because it dehumanizes them. Their behavior did not dehumanize them? Is there anyone who could be called these words? Well, do you have, uh, Sean, do you have the... Uh, the audio I sent you? Oh. Okay. It was in uh, Sydney, Australia, pro-Palestinians, mostly Muslims, Arabs, I assume many of them Palestinian, were ch chanting, gas the Jews. For those of you who have bought the gigantic lie that anti-Zionism is, is different from anti-Semitism. I hope this is clarifying. I've written about it and talked about it for all of my life. There is no difference. When there is only one country on earth that you support the eradication of, and it happens to be the only Jewish country on earth, one can infer that you are an enemy of the Jews. If, if you were a against the existence of Italy, you wanted Italy eradicated and supported those who wished to murder all Italians, it would be fair to say that you are an enemy of Italians. Okay? Even anti-Italian. You have to go to college and, and be brainwashed into believing that I can support the eradication of Israel and the murder of its inhabitants, but hey, don't think I'm an anti-Semite. No, you're a Jew lover. 
I'm like, well, I would one think that. And it should be obvious that the eradication of every Jew is one of the aims. The Hamas charter speaks of the Quranic verse that if you see a Jew behind a tree, kill him. Yeah, you know what? People people like to remain naive. People can't stand facing evil. So what they do is they concentrate on non-evils. Right? They won't call Hamas evil, but they will call America evil. American racism. Yes. Oh, uh, it's an upside-down world. I don't know if it has ever not been. Well... It's more upside down today than, at least in America, that I that is clear to say. Also from the Daily Mail, Representative Rashida Talib sparks outrage as Palestinian flag still hangs outside her Capitol Hill office, despite terror attack by Hamas on Israel. You realize that proportionately to the Jewish population of Israel to the United States. Now that it's a thousand, it is approximately thirty-three thousand Jews killed in uh, in Israel. It would be the equivalent if they had our population. So it is uh, way transcends, as it were. Nine twelve families were not wiped out on nine twelve in the same way. The glee. The grabbing of young people, the shooting them while yelling, Allahu Akbar. Do you understand what a sick form of religion these people have? God is the greatest, so I will murder a family. God is the greatest, so I will abuse young the young women at, uh, at this festival. When they beheaded people, remember ISIS? The left has been so effective in scaring people into being called Islamophobes that people don't say the truth. There is a proportion of the Muslim world that is evil. There are many wonderful individual Muslims. That is a given. Of course that is true. But to deny the obvious because you're scared that the left will call you a name is not an ode to the human spirit, shall we say. Such is the world. Rashida Talib. There is nothing that Palestinians could do to Israelis. Nothing that would uh, alienate their supporters. Mike Lindell has a passion to help you get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop at the pillow. Mike also created the Giza Dream Bed Sheets. These sheets look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep, which is crucial for overall health. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. Mike's latest deal is the sale of the year for a limited time. You'll receive 50% off the Giza Dream Sheets, marking prices down as low as $29.98, depending on the size. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Podcasts Square, and use the promo code Prager. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, 
but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow 2.0 mattress topper, MyPillow kitchen towel sets, and so much more. Call 800-761-6302 or go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code PRAGER. Dennis Prager here. Oh, my God. Evil. That, that's what we're talking about. Okay. 1-8 Prager 776 is the number. Curious to know how you're reacting to be perfectly said. Did I say uh, did I say nine twelve? No, wait, I don't even know if I said. You did. I did. Yeah. Why didn't you correct me? I thought you meant it. You thought I meant it. That's adorable. You thought I meant it. What happened on nine twelve? It's like I I once. You thought I see the day after. It's like. It's a Prager family uh, uh, legend now. Many years ago. I I let's see many years ago I sent a message I I was on a, a listener cruise and I sent a message to my older son for his birthday and I I said I was a very loving message and I said January 30th, 1981 was a, was a great day in my life, referring to his birthday. And I got back a text message. What happened on January 30th, 1981? (laughs) I may have gotten the year wrong too, but it was January 31st in any event. Anyway, 9-11. When you think of this, uh, what is this, the progressive eight that they can't condemn as pure acts of evil as can exist, their hatred, these progressive, this progressive eight, is it eight? I think it's eight. In... uh, In the Congress, uh, uh, it's such there's such a consistency. When you're morally blind in one arena, you tend to be in many other arenas. These are the American-hating radical left in uh, the squad. They look at this, and oh, it is so interesting. Like, why does why do why do they the eight progressive members of the Democratic Caucus fail to back Israel against the existential threat it is facing? See, that is an existential threat. Global warming is not. Iran is an existential threat. Hamas and all these other Islamic terror organizations, these people live 
to kill Jews. That is, that is their greatest joy. Look at the joy that they're having. Is there joy in Israel if, if, if they bomb uh, in Gaza and a family dies or any member of the family? Is there joy? Do, are Jews giving out candies? There was such a moral gap between uh, Israelis and their enemies. If that, if that is not obvious, then, well, it's not to this professor of Jewish studies at UCLA. We debated uh, 20 years ago. The debate was, is there a moral difference between Israel and its enemies? He said no. And he's a professor of Jewish studies. There is no department free of fools in uh, in our universities. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilan Omar, Ayanna Presley, Rashida Tlaib, Jamal Bowman. Oh, isn't he the guy who just... Uh, Pulled the alarm when he said he thought he thought it was the way to open the door. Yeah. Corey Bush, Greg Kassar, and Summer Lee. Hmm. What a group. They hate America, they hate Israel. What do they love? It's an interesting question. What do they love? I know what they hate. What do they love? I don't mean some abstract principle. I mean, they they don't love that abstract principle either. Uh, This motto of free Palestine. Oh, really? Is there free Syria? Is there a free Lebanon? Hmm? Free Iraq? What's the model exactly among Israel's neighbors of a free country? Free Palestine? Why, why isn't the, why isn't it now free? Why aren't why don't they have why don't they have honest elections now? It's not because of Israel. It's because of the amount of corruption in the in the Palestinian Authority. The occupation. Israel occupied Gaza, and it left, and it got murder. Do you know Israel had already offered, people don't even remember this, how Israel had uh, offered at Camp David, like 95% of the territory for a Palestinian state. Yasser Arafat rejected it. Bill Clinton was shocked. Bill Clinton blamed Yasser Arafat for the rejection. And then the massive terror campaign started against Israeli civilians. Please know one thing. According to Palestinians and their supporters, all of Israel is occupied. We return. When the government used emergency edicts during COVID to restrict the gathering and worship of churches... Three pastors facing the risk of imprisonment, unlimited fines, and their own churches being ripped apart took a courageous stand and reopened their doors in the face of a world that chose to comply. The Essential Church is a feature-length documentary that explores the struggle between the church and government throughout history. This fascinating story uncovers those who've sacrificed their lives throughout history for what they truly believe in. 
we discover why the church is essential and how we prove that this stand remains true from a scientific, legal, and most importantly, biblical perspective. This is not your typical movie. It'll change your life. You need to see this movie with your friends and family. The Essential Church is streaming today exclusively at SalemNow.com. That's Essential Church, streaming at SalemNow.com. Eugene Kantorovich is the head of the International Law Department at the Kohelet Policy Forum, a Jerusalem think tank, and a professor at George Mason University Scalia Law School. He has a piece in the Wall Street Journal, The Iran-Gaza War. It's not the Gaza War, it's Iran-Gaza, which is, of course, true. This is the conflict Tehran wants on Israeli soil through once-removed marauding militias. Professor Kantorovich is in Israel right now. So I take it, Professor, you divide your time between the U.S. and Israel, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And thank God I'm I'm in Israel now. I'm so I'm so lucky. I'd be horrified if I had to not be here. So, you know, one of the things about Israel is when there's a war here, Israelis want to come, not leave. It's impossible to get a flight to Israel now. It's all booked. Uh, and I was lucky enough to already be here. So uh, when you go to the U.S., it's in order for you to teach your classes at George Mason University? That's correct. I I'm see. I'm Professor George Mason. Good. So before we talk about your piece and your take on what is happening, I think it's important, uh, as I did with Michael Oren yesterday, the former Israeli ambassador to the United States, give us a sense of what it is like right now to to be living as an Israeli uh, in Israel. He was telling me and my listeners that he was essentially self-imposed isolation with his family in his apartment in Jerusalem. What what have you decided to do? So, yeah, th- there were definitely uh, rockets on Jerusalem and the area that I'm in also yesterday, and we spent some time in the bomb shelters. Uh, there have not been rockets uh, today, so we, we've not been in the bomb shelters. Um, you know, basically, you're running in and out of bomb shelters. That's, that's part of uh, life in, in a war like this, where the enemy purposefully targets civilians as their primary method of war. Um, right now, I'm trying to get outside with my kids as much as possible, uh, you know, take them on play dates and have them uh, get some air, because um, we know it's going to get worse before it gets better. Iran is going to try to bring their uh, puppet Hezbollah uh, into the war, creating a two-front a two war. And of course, there's always the possibility of a direct confrontation with Iran. And uh, so this, in a sense, may even be the uh, the quiet before the storm. I want to talk to you then about that. I've been thinking a lot about Hezbollah, and it would seem this is exactly the time that Iran would want Hezbollah, which is way more powerful than Hamas, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of, for example, just the sophistication and the number of, of rockets. So uh, my my theory, and I always tell guests you are 100% welcome to say, I'm sorry, Dennis, I completely disagree. So please, I, 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 I want to hear a reaction. It seems to me that the only thing holding Hezbollah back, if there is anything holding it back, 
is that the Lebanese don't want to be part of a war. What do you think of that idea, or is it outlandish? Um, um, maybe, maybe the Lebanese don't want to be part of a war, but uh, Hezbollah does not rule uh, Lebanon by taking uh, surveys or asking anybody else for their uh, opinion. Uh, you know, their uh, policymaking works principally on the phone from uh, Tehran. Um, and uh, I don't know that they are restrained. They've been testing, they've been probing, and, uh, you know, we're in very early days yet. Uh, I think it's extremely likely that they will enter the conflict. They're going to do so at a time of their choosing, right? It may be advantageous for them to do so when Israel is more fully committed in Gaza. Okay, so... A, a two-front war, I think, is the more, is the more likely scenario. So, I, I keep reading that they have, uh, I don't remember the number. What is the number of rockets they are presumed to have? Well over 100,000 missiles. Israel, how does Israel protect itself against 100,000 missiles? Israel is going to have to, Israel protect itself by invading Lebanon uh, and pushing Hezbollah back physically, uh, pushing back the launch sites, taking out the launch sites. And I think here it's important to point out the two places that this week Israel is being attacked from, Gaza and southern Lebanon, are both places that used to be under Israeli control. Both places that Israel left for peace and places that are used to wage an exterminationist war on Israel. And I think that means if at the end of this war Israel has retaken territory, People need to understand it is not going to necessarily be the case that, like in right. past conflicts, All right, we're going to continue. Israel walks in, breaks the furniture. We have to break. Oh, we are going to continue. Eugene Kantorovich, professor, George Mason University. <music> professor Eugene Kantorovich has a piece in the Wall Street Journal, which everybody in the world should read, in my opinion. He is an Israeli and uh, American, and he teaches at George Mason University. He's with his family in Israel right now. Before we continue with the issue of Iran, Hezbollah, and Hamas, I rarely use the term, but like so many other terms, it's that have been misused, fascist, threat to democracy, existential threat, Words have been cheapened somewhat like the dollar has by the left. But uh, I will say it is hard to imagine that Israel is not suffering from PTSD at this moment. Is that an overstatement? Um, Yeah, I think it's an overstatement because we're not in the post-trauma stage yet. We're in the middle of the trauma. Uh Uh, uh It has not really fully sunk in. Everybody knows many more people are going to die in urban fighting in, uh, in Gaza. And I think right now there's only fierce determination to fight and win the war, uh, to demolish Hamas, to fundamentally change the paradigm. And I think the grieving and, and also the recriminations for responsibility um, about the intelligence failures, all of that and the PTSD, all of that's going to happen later. Right now people are mobilized. And right, driven. that's a very good answer. So explain to me this, how 
how would it happen that Israel would remove Hamas? I mean, explain to me what that means. Uh, what removing Hamas means is destroying Hamas as a organization uh, by killing its members, uh, capturing its members, and demolishing its infrastructure and removing it from power in Gaza. Uh, the problem is there's no one really else in Gaza to run Gaza um, other than Hamas. Uh, you can put other people in, but uh, when Israel left, the Palestinian Authority Fatah party was in charge, uh, uh, and Hamas won the elections. Hamas is apparently what the people of Gaza want or, or prefer, uh, and as soon as Israel leaves, Hamas will come back, much like the Taliban came back when America left Afghanistan. The difference is Afghanistan is on the other side of the world from America, and Gaza is right next to Israel, and Israel cannot allow these kind of massacres to happen again which uh, means it is not clear right, whether it is possible for Israel to uh, allow uh, Hamas to return to power in Gaza, which may mean it is not clear if Israel can fully leave Gaza. That's right. That's what people don't understand. What Whatever Israel quote-unquote occupies is because of the threat, the existential threat, Again, a word cheapened by the left uh, to Israel. It is not the opposite. It's not the threat is not because Israel occupies. Israel occupies because of the threat. As you write in your piece, imagine then. Well, th- this th- I was always for the two-state solution. I, I stopped being it because I live in reality. The thought that the West Bank would be run by Hamas-type people whose raison d'etre in life is to murder as many Israelis, Israeli Jews specifically as possible. It's, do you know, explain this to me. uh, It's on the internet. You might find this of interest. I debated uh, at Oxford, the amazing, a few years ago, what is it, the Oxford Union. So I debated the proposition of, is Hamas or Israel the greater threat to peace? So, of course, I said Hamas was. And do you know whom I debated? A, an, an Oxford professor of international relations who's Israeli. And he said Israel was the greater threat. Is there any people other than Jews who produce so many people who want to destroy their own people? You have a thought on that? Uh, we're, we're, we're very good at it. Uh, and by the way, that's how he got to be a professor at Oxford. That's you know, That's if you're an Israeli, you want to be a professor at Oxford. You're not going to get it by you know defending the Jewish state. Uh, yes, and we're going to see the same thing in this conflict. Even in this conflict, uh, there is a professional class of academics, of think tankers, of so-called human rights organizations uh, who are going to try to prevent Israel from preventing its own genocide, preventing the genocide of the Jewish people. Um, and they're going to do it using fake international law. We have already started hearing the arguments. Uh, apparently, the argument, so now Israel has said that it is not uh, giving, uh, you know, before Hamas got their electricity and their water piped in from Israel. Israel gave them their utilities. So now Israel is saying, we're not giving you utilities anymore. Apparently, it is against international law to not supply your enemy 
with utilities, which is funny because I don't know of any other conflict in which uh, a country has supplied its enemy state with uh, utilities. Right. So let's go back to uh, Hezbollah. Uh, I hesitate to even pose the question, but I will. What, how effectively can Israel, in your opinion, fight a two-front war? Um, we, nobody knows until that happens, because so many things can go wrong. But certainly it is a situation that Israel has planned for. Um, that is not a, a surprise. Um, and I think morale is high. Um, and I think uh, ultimately Israel will prevail in the field. The much bigger danger for Israel than losing in the field is losing the peace. Right? That is to say, what Israel is also very good at is snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. In other words, winning the war and then giving up anyway. So it's very crucial that when Israel wins this war, it lock in permanent gains rather than seeing whatever it wins in a war as just stuff to give away. Because that is what has emboldened Hamas and Hezbollah. They think no matter how badly they get beaten, they can't lose any territory. Mm-hmm. Israel's going to leave. So they'll fight. Some people will die, and that's okay. They'll get their divine reward. And uh, then they'll just build back. Exactly. They're, th- they're looking at Taliban in Afghanistan and saying, right. that'll be us. All right, hold on there. Eugene Kantorovich, I'm telling you, he's... Uh... The clarity of this man is exhilarating. Professor Eugene Kantorovich, a professor at George Mason University Scalia Law School, and Israeli is the head of the International Law Department at the Kohelet Policy Forum at Jerusalem. Think Tank, piece in the Wall Street Journal, which is mandatory reading, we don't have uh, much time, but uh, I must say I need to need to contact you more frequently. Your your uh, your clarity is bracing. I, I I'm a big fan. Oh well, if you are, I'm I'm truly honored. Thank you. What do you make of the fact that the Eiffel Tower had the Israeli uh, flag um, lit lit up, lighted up? And that other governments, the Bundestag in Germany, have done the same thing. I was a bit shocked that uh, we had there. There's been this element of support for Israel. On the other hand, uh, it may be extremely temporary. What is your take? Um, I guess it's nice. Uh, I wish those same governments hadn't been, have not been, and do not continue to fund. Uh, Hamas apologist pro-terror organizations which make uh, fake accusations against Israel of apartheid and genocide which provide political cover for Hamas. So if you're, you know, funding organizations that deny Israel's legitimacy as a state, that accuse Israel of monstrous crimes and play straight into Hamas propaganda uh, and you light the Eiffel Tower up, I'd rather you do neither. And indeed, Europe continues to fund the Palestinian Authority. The European Union was going to stop funding the Palestinian Authority, and they continue to do this. I will point out that you know, as soon as Russia invaded Ukraine, Europe imposed 
significant crippling sanctions on Russia, even though they harm innocent Russian civilians, right? People have nothing to do with Putin's policies. But money to the Palestinians, which gets diverted to terror, is going to continue to flow. You might think that Europe doesn't think Jewish blood is red enough. I'll end with, uh, with this. Uh, do you have an explanation for President Biden giving Iran $6 billion for hostages? Um, weakness, uh, lack of uh, vision of America as a world leader, um, wanting to have a multipolar Middle East, uh, it, the but no really since since Obama's policy of rapprochement with Iran, I was confounded by it. Then I'm confounded okay. by its. All right, we'll we'll leave it at that then. I uh, uh, I will be bothering you frequently. Eugene Kantorovich's okay. peace in great the talking Street. with you, Dennis. Thank you. Totally mutual. His peace is up at DennisPrager.com. Hello, everybody. I'm Dennis Prager, Wall Street Journal editorial. Make some key points that I need to bring to your attention, points that I have made over the course of many years. The strategic and political point, it writes in the middle of this editorial, is that the return of war against Israel isn't an isolated event. It is the latest installment in the unraveling of global order as American political will and military primacy are called into question. That's correct. For many years, I have argued that America needs to be the world's policeman because the world needs a policeman just like San Francisco needs policemen. And if it's not going to be the United States, then the forces of evil will triumph. I have been saying this all of my life. I don't understand why it hasn't been clear to vast numbers of Americans, including many conservatives, many Republicans who don't quite follow this and who believe that America should only be prepared for war if it hits the United States on its shores. I've also noted that it is a very good thing when the American president is feared. I have no interest in an American president being loved. None whatsoever. Donald Trump was feared by the bad guys, whether it was China or Iran or, or Russia. They feared Donald Trump. They have utter and total contempt for Joe Biden because he's a weakling. And he has weaklings surrounding him. That's the case. Eight, eight billion, six billion dollars to Iran. A regime that regularly chants death to America and he gave it six billion dollars because they kidnapped some Americans off the street visiting Tehran. Why won't they just do that to more Americans who visit Tehran? 
Eight, six billion. I don't know why I keep coming up with eight. Six billion dollars to a regime that has announced it wishes to commit genocide. You know, every every word has been raped of its meaning by the left. Every every word of evil, fascist, Nazi, racist. It's they've all been. Well, I just, my mind keeps coming to the word rape. We don't only use the term rape as a as forced sexual aggression against a woman, or, or a man for that matter. We, uh, we can use it with language. Whatever word you use, my intention is clear. So do you know that the pro-Palestinian... spokespeople, their supporters around the world constantly speak, regularly, of genocide against the Palestinians. So they have raped the word genocide of any meaning. There are more Palestinians today than there were 20 years ago. It's the opposite of genocide, right? Genocide is the destruction of a people, the intent to Murder them. That's what genocide is. But not to the left and not to the lowlifes who support the Palestinians against Israel. Genocide. Really, genocide. So how do you explain the increase in Palestinian population while genocide is taking place? But who's going to ask them that? A New York Times reporter? A CNN reporter? A Washington Post reporter? Who's going to ask them that obvious question? I was listening to a uh, Palestinian speaker in Australia, and she, uh, I believe it was Australia, because I'm going to play for you something from that demonstration at the Sydney Opera House, and she just said, oh, they're uh, inhumane genocide. It was in the United States as well. Supporters of the Palestinians who, of course, care about Palestinians as as much as the Bolsheviks cared about workers. It is just their way of expressing their hatred for Israel and the United States. If you cared about Palestinians, you would want to get rid of Hamas. You You would want there to be freedom and democracy and uh, and free speech and a free press in uh, in Gaza, none of which exist. They torture their opponents just like they slaughter Jews in Israel. Listen to this chant. I got it, I think it was up at Daily Mail, from the demonstration at the Sydney Opera House, and I reported to you yesterday that the Australian authorities said that Jews should, uh, for their own sake, not show up at the Sydney Opera House. Wow, that must be a first in Australian history that Jews in Australia were told to to stay away from someplace out of danger to their lives. This notion that the Palestinians and their supporters are just anti-Israel but not anti-Jew, 
the the number of Jews beaten uh, or in some cases murdered uh, by Muslims in France, for example, the bombing of the uh, Jewish community center in uh, Buenos Aires by Iran, I mean, the examples of slaughter of Jews uh, by these people uh, outside of Israel having nothing to do with Israel. And now this, don't go to the Sydney Opera House, Jews of Australia, Jews of Sydney. So here is a chant that went up at the Palestinian demonstration yesterday, as recorded, I believe, by the Daily Mail. And in case it's not clear to you, I'll tell you the words. Gas the Jews. Here it is. Guess the Jews. If you're pro-Palestinian, you're a bad dude. What the Palestinians have unleashed on, on planet Earth in terms of terror, no other people has unleashed as much. There are some wonderful Palestinians. I've met them. That, that, is, that is true, and it's beside my point. What is there to be proud of? Part of the hatred of Israel, a big part of the hatred of Israel on the part of many in the Arab world, not all by any means, is that Israel has built a remarkable and robust and free society. And they haven't. It's a combination of envy, resentment, shame. When the Jews came to Tel Aviv, it was literally a a malarial swamp. It is today the hub of one of the most robust economies in the world. Second only to the United States of America, tiny Israel produces uh, more uh, medicine and, and technology that is used for the good of mankind than any other country on earth. That's big part of the reason it's hated. What exactly has Hamas produced other than terror? other than sadists. That's what they produce. Israel produces cancer drugs. Hamas produces sadists. That's a fact, my friends. And that's all Hamas produces. Despicable human beings. Back in a moment. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400.
I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Yep, yep. Gas the Jews to hear the chant in, uh, in Sydney, Australia. No wonder the government there said to Jews, stay away from the Sydney Opera House. That's from my column today, which you should read. It's up at my website and town hall, both. We've gone from German Nazism to Islamic Nazism. That's a fact. It's not an exaggeration. It's not intended to be an insult. It's intended to be a description of fact. If this weekend's events in Israel did not make that clear to you, literally nothing would. Nothing. Okay, Hilo, Hawaii. I believe that is what it is. Is that correct, Ben? Yes, hello. Hi. Yeah, uh, I'm trying hard to parse out uh, what is from what's not in the current conflict. Um, in any conflict, you have one party opposing another party, and each side has uh, its uh, grievances with the other. I'd like to understand it more, but it seems, uh, as you had mentioned, that the United States should be the police of the world. I don't know. We're stretched thin as it is. Um, well, these are, wait, so hold on, you're changing the subject, which is fine, but are you aware one, one has nothing to do with the other? You're, you're trying, first you say, in any conflict, there are two sides, and now you're going to the question of U.S. as policemen. In your mind, are those, are those subjects, I'm sorry? I shouldn't have switched up like that. Okay, fine. All right, so let me deal with the first one. That was true during World War II. The Germans had their grievances, and the Allies had their grievances. The Japanese had their grievances, and America had its grievances. And so I don't understand your point. Of course that's true. The bully, the bully, the murderer has his grievances, and the murdered has his grievances. So, what, right, so right. I'm not quite sure what point you're making. Well, I think that I... Don't understand the whole thing over there. And okay, here's the whole thing over yeah. there. It's a five minute video, the Middle East conflict at PragerU that I gave many years ago, and here it is in one sentence: one side wants the other side dead. That is the Middle East conflict. That's terrible. Correct. Uh, I thank you very much. All right, I thank you. Well, that's why I think it's important that I do this work. See, it's so unique 
there is no other example of one side wanting the other side dead. We have conflict with Russia. There's no part of the most anti-Russian person that wants Russia dead, that wants Russians wiped out, that wants the country of Russia annihilated. We, we don't think that way. But that is, that is the way in which Israel's enemies think of Israel. It, it, the Iranian purpose, shared by Hezbollah and Hamas, uh, is to exterminate Israel and its people. It's hard for people to get wrap their minds around it because it's so incredibly evil. That's why I played for you the demonstrators in Sydney gas the Jews. Yes, it's hard to believe, isn't it? That's why in the Ultimate Issues Hour I'm going to talk about Jew hatred, the greatest, uh, most enduring, and the only exterminationist hatred in history. Uh, Los Angeles and Isaac, hello. Uh, hi, Dennis. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, right when this happened on Saturday, as I understand it, there were videos upon videos upon videos uh, put out by Hamas, put out by themselves, of what the atrocities they did. I think women walking naked in the street, being spit upon, children being uh uh, kidnapped. I cannot find, for the life of me, any of those videos on any platform. And it would be phenomenal if somebody would put them out. I agree. I happen to agree with you. I, I have felt the same, interestingly. I, I don't even know if those videos exist because there's no, there's no possible. Well, they, they claim they do or it's claimed that they do. And obviously, you you uh, you can blur out the person's face because it, it is if if if, uh, if nudity is involved, nakedness is involved. Then clearly, you don't want to further humiliate the individual. But uh, the only one that I saw was a it was actually a young German woman who was in the back of a Hamas pickup truck, her body mostly unclothed. And uh, they yep. kept uh, beating her with a uh, uh, with a, uh, a wooden bar and uh, spitting on her. Uh, that that is available, uh, but you're you're quite right. I, I I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if if we have access to them, but I do believe that it would be instructive. I think people need to confront evil. Uh, the it's not fair to the people who endure evil to hide what they endured from the world. The only solace, if any, is available is to think that others know what, what they have endured and to elicit the appropriate moral and emotional reactions. Okay, we go on. You are listening to The Dennis Prager Show. Riley Gaines, one of the more remarkable Americans of our time, is on with me. At the Leadership Institute, there is actually a Riley Gaines Center. She She is the champion swimmer who has taken on 
protecting women and women's sports. Go to teamriley.org or text REAL to 30102. Today is Real Women's Day. What a brilliant, I tell you, Riley, did you come up with that? Tell the truth. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I really did. Yes. That's bloody impressive. So I, I asked you some personal questions about your own nature last time. I want to develop that just for a moment. Did you, how do I put this? Are you surprised at all at what this fight has brought out of you, or did you always know this was your nature? I've always been a leader. Um, I've always been unwavering in my faith and, and, you know, what I know to be true and right and just and fair and all of those different things. Um, I just can't believe this is even a conversation that we're having. I mean, I would have never imagined I would had to take the stand that I've been taking. I mean, it's the most common sense approach of any issue that we see. Men and women are different, yet you have large governing bodies, you have politicians, you have academia all denying that. They're saying there's no difference between man and woman, and you can be whichever one you want to be on whichever day you feel like it. I mean, it's crazy, and I feel so passionately about it because it's a lot broader than just protecting women's sports. Uh, what it's about, the premise of you know what we're seeing is it's, it's denying objective truth. Um, and that's a pretty chilling thought because you have to be thinking, what's next? You know, they're asking us to deny man and woman the sheer essence of humanity, What's the next thing? I mean, it's very Orwellian. Um, It's as if they're trying to make us say two plus two is five. And we have so many people adhering to this nonsense. Actually, the Oregon Education Department does allow you to say two plus two is five. They have announced that the idea that there is one correct answer in math is a form of white supremacy. That's the official education department of the state of Oregon. So you can't even make it up. No, you can't. It's exactly correct. So are you aware that yesterday, I believe it was, uh, Miss Portugal is a uh, is a male who says he's a female? Are you familiar with a transgender? Uh, yes, yeah. and he's not the only one. I miss so Netherlands. Miss Netherlands. Oh, yes, that's right. And they're both. Well, I, I think Miss Portugal is at least a little, little better looking than Miss Netherlands. I mean, he's not even a cute woman. He's ugly. His teeth are jutting forward. I'm sorry. I'm, we're just being honest here. Um, it's a slap in the face to every one of those girls. Of course it is, right? I mean, of course it is. Are there any feminist groups, so-called feminist groups, that have come out on uh, protecting women on this issue? There are. Um, of course, it's few and far between, but there are. there's Wolf, which is Women's Liberation Front, who has taken a strong stand. Um, there's a group called Icons, which doesn't necessarily have a political affiliation, but has a lot of women, um, in particular lesbian women, who head up this group, who have taken a stand against this. Um, the International Consortium of Female Sports has taken a stance. There, there's few, and of course we know Martina Navratilova. Um, her and I could agree on not one other issue. Uh, but she's a strong ally in this fight. So the ones that I'm familiar with, for example, is the National Organization for Women, is that the largest women's organization? Have they come out in on either side? Yes, they have, and I'll let you guess which side they've come out on, because it's not on the side with women. That's fascinating. 
Why that does not discredit now completely uh, is it's like a PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, years ago unleashed a program, released a program called Holocaust on Your Plate. And it said that there's no difference between the barbecuing of chickens and the cremating of Jews. And by the way, they still have that program up, and yet people still give to PETA. People still give to now. I mean, it is these are examples of why many of us are worried about the decline of America and the West. That people still support now when when they have this position is is remarkable. So what what's the difference? I assume it's just a different address, Team Riley or uh, or. Uh, RileyGainsCenter.org, correct? It, either way, it gets to you. Correct. Um, they both lead to the RileyGainsCenter.org homepage where you can find different ways to get involved and stay connected. One final question. I read that at some speech at some college recently, you had 45 security detail. Is that correct? I did. Um, it was at New Mexico, University of New Mexico. Um, they put 45 security guards on me, and, of course, they hit me with a ridiculous security fee, uh, which just shows you free speech is not free, um, especially if you're a conservative. Th- that is really something. You protect yourself. They, they're the ones who assigned 45 people. Is that correct? Correct. So I don't know if you're familiar with this term, chutzpah. Are you familiar with that term? No, tell me. Okay. Chutzpah. It's a Jewish word, and we don't have... The reason it's well known is that there's no pure English language equivalent. It's, it's, they have a nerve, but it's much more than just having a nerve. But the nerve they have to send you a bill... For for and not the people threatening you, this is truly sick. Yeah, and we're seeing it over and over. By the way, did you did you did you get to give the speech? I did, Um, and really, there were hardly any protesters. I mean, of course, there were some. Um, There were some who sat in the back of the room, and there were some who were outside with their signs and blah blah blah. And they have every right to do that. I actually encourage them to do that because I think that's a sign of a of a healthy thriving society when we can have kind of that civil discourse um yeah so i there were protesters but the speech was delivered and it was very well received go to riley excuse me rileygainscenter.org and uh, uh, know what this remarkable young woman is doing we'll be talking again god bless you thank you dennis thank you now that's chutzpah The Ultimate Issues Hour on the Dennis Prager Show, the third hour every Tuesday. So, it makes perfect sense what topic I have chosen for this Ultimate Issues Hour. And it is anti-Semitism, which is a term that has nothing to do with Semites. It's an unfortunate term. It's completely disingenuous, actually. It's Jew hatred, and that's what the name should have been. For all of my life, I have spelled anti-Semitism, including in my book on the subject called Why the Jews, without a hyphen, because 
it's not against it's not against Semites. It was coined. The term was coined in the 1870s by a German anti-Semite named Wilhelm Marr, and in his mind, the Semites that he knew were Jews. There were no Arabs to speak of in Germany. And so that's how the term was originated. But it is, uh, it, it's Jew hatred, and that's what the term should be. But I'll use anti-Semitism as well, because that's the term that is known. Every generation seems to produce some group that wants to do something unique to the Jews, and this is a big part of what people need to understand as to why this hatred is a unique hatred, because it is annihilationist. It is exterminationist, if you will, whichever term you prefer. The the Jew hater, as opposed to the ethnic bigot, I mean, there's ethnic bigotry all over the place. People don't like this. Catholics and Protestants uh, have uh, have had some animosity or a lot of animosity, and you know, Poles and Germans and Russians and Poles, and it's endless. It's human animosity toward other groups, and sometimes it ends up in violence, tragically. But there is none that I can think of other than Jew hatred, other than anti-Semitism, wherein the anti-Semite wishes to exterminate Jews. You don't, you don't have that in, in other bigotry. Even racists did not seek to exterminate blacks from the face of the earth. It was bad enough what they did to them in terms of slavery and other forms of racist bigotry. But you didn't have what you have with the true anti-Semite eliminationism. As you saw this past weekend in Israel, the, the entering of a home and the murdering of parents and children, a, a Jewish baby is as much a, a target of death to the anti-Semite as is a a robust young man. The existence of the Jew is what must be eliminated. It is enduring to the extent such that there is a phrase in the Passover service, the Passover service book is called the Haggadah. I, I have an explanation of that book called the Rational Haggadah. And it's for Jews and non-Jews, just like my rational Bible is. The Rational Passover Haggadah, it is called. And I've written a book, Why the Jews? The Reason for Anti-Semitism. So this is a, a subject I'm familiar with greatly. The phrase that is about, two, I don't know, 2,000 years old, is in every generation they arise, I'm translating from the Hebrew in my mind, literally, in every generation they arise to 
put an end to us, to annihilate us. Not to persecute us, the Jews, but to annihilate the Jews. See, if, if the animosity toward the Jew were a normal form of bigotry, you would not have had the Holocaust, you would not have Hamas, the current Nazi-type elimination of the Jews. It, it really does beg for explanation. It's the most enduring hatred in the history of the world, which, given the tiny number of Jews in the world, makes it, among many other reasons, that much more remarkable. And as I point out in in the book, Why the Jews, poor Jews were as hated and as persecuted and as murdered as rich Jews. The 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 issue of Jews being wealthy had nothing to do with the hatred. There was Jews being Jews. And it really does ask for some degree of explanation. One of my favorite uh, explanations, I have my own, but one of my favorite that was written by others was uh, written by a Catholic priest, Edward Flannery, I would say about 50 years ago. I'll give you, let's see if I have it. Yeah, he wrote it. See, he wrote a book on it, but he wrote in the New York Times, November 30th, 1974. So that's 25, let's see, 26 and 23, 49 years ago. Well, 49 years ago. What happened here? Why, why didn't, how did I lose my page? <laughs> it's really pathetic. I was in Kindle and I was reading it to you. Okay, here we go. I hope. Let's see. No. Uh, one moment, my friends, and I will have the exact quote. His name was Edward Flannery. He was the of the National Conference of Catholics. So again, he wrote this in the New York Times 49 years ago. It was Judaism, again, the National Conference of Catholic Bishops, that brought the concept of a God-given universal moral law into the world, willingly or not, Willingly or not, the Jew carries the burden of God in history and for this has never been forgiven. Another non-Jew wrote a similar idea. Ernest Vandenhag, who used to write for the National Review, is a brilliant social thinker. Fundamental to anti-Semitism, though seldom explicit and conscious. This is important. Seldom explicit and conscious. It's not like the anti-Semite thinks about this, but, but he, he, he writes, it is fundamental. Is hostility to the Jewish belief in one God, a belief to which anti-Semites very reluctantly converted, and which they never ceased to resist. Anti-Semitism is one form this resistance takes. 
Those who originated this burdensome religion and yet rejected the version to which the Gentiles were converted easily became the target of the resentment. One cannot dare to be hostile to one's all-powerful God, but one can be to those who generated him. This is a common thread in many Christians' understanding of Christian anti-Semitism, that it, it should not even exist except that there are a lot of Christians who are not happy with, with their own Christian burden, if you will. And so subconsciously they blame it on the Jews because it is, after all, an offshoot of the Jews. Jesus was a Jew, the apostles were a Jew, Paul was a Jew, and the Bible until that time, was a Jewish book. We'll be back in a moment. There are bigger reasons even than this. Ultimate Issues Hour, Dennis Prager Show. Hi everybody, Dennis Prager here. Check out my article at DennisPrager.com or TownHall.com about the German Nazism's successor, Islamic Nazism. Again, it's amazing, isn't it? But it is a fact. There is an exterminationist hatred of Jews. In other words, kill them all. Sean, would you play the uh, chant at the Palestinian demonstration in, uh, at the Sydney, Australia Opera House? Gas the Jews. Well, at least they're honest. There are tens of millions of Muslims who would like to gas the Jews. Of course, there are many millions of 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 Arabs and Muslims who would not. I fully acknowledge that. But there is no other group about whom such a chant would be recited. Gas the fill-in-the-blank. The desire to exterminate one of the smallest peoples on the face of the earth needs to be explained. So Ernest von den Haag has this explanation that uh, the Jews were uh, brought into this world. That's like Flannery, the uh, the Catholic bishop that I quoted earlier from 49 years ago. The Jewish God, he writes, Ernest von den Hag, is invisible and unrepresentable, even unmentionable, a power beyond imagination, a law beyond scrutiny. He is universal, holding power over everybody and demanding obedience and worship from all. Nonetheless, he entered history and listened to and argued with and chose the Jews and the Jews alone, no wonder they are the target of all those who resent his domination. Most unpleasant, the Jews' invisible God not only insisted on being the one and only and all-powerful God, creator and Lord of everything, and the only rightful claimant to worship, he also developed into a moral God. The Jews have suffered from their own invention ever since, but they have never given it up. For it is, after all, what makes the Jews Jewish. A big part of the Jew hatred is indeed the Jewish 
the Jewish influence, not financial, that's, that's a joke, not, not even social, but ultimate influence, bringing in the God of the Bible, bringing in the Bible, giving birth to Christianity and Islam. I mean, there's been nothing like it. The Hebrews have done more to civilize mankind than any other group, wrote John Adams. And I am no chauvinist. I'm not particularly a fan of a significant swath of American Jews who have really come to support truly foolish ideas. I I don't divide the world by ethnicity or religion. I divide it by good and bad. There are only two races, the decent and indecent, in my opinion. But a fact is a fact. The Jews brought all of this into the world. And they claimed that they were chosen. I always make the point about chosenness, because so many people correctly say, oh, well, the Jews think they're chosen, and that's bred a lot of hatred, a lot of resentment. Yeah, but it doesn't make any sense. If somebody walked over to you in the street and said, I want you to know God chose me, you would you would walk away thinking you had met a nut. Or you would give the or if you knew them, you would give them the name of a good therapist. But you wouldn't hate them for thinking that they were chosen. Anyway, a lot of people have some variation on chosenness. The Japanese think they get the sun before any other country. It's the land of the rising sun. China in Chinese is Middle Kingdom, means center of the earth kingdom. It, but nobody hates them for it. It, it. it doesn't matter. The reason that Jews have been hated for the belief in their being chosen is because the, the Jew hater believed it. The Jew hater took the claim seriously. And that's a big factor. The what we saw this weekend is an example of this exterminationist hatred. Killing Jewish babies was for the Nazis and for the the uh, Hezbollah and the Hamas and Iran. A Jewish baby is to be eliminated as much as a, an adult male. Grandmothers were kidnapped and man murdered. It's a unique hatred. And the non-Jew needs to understand, and had, if non-Jews did understand this, it would save a tremendous number of non-Jewish lives. To understand that the Jew hater is a civilization hater. It's not like the Iranian regime has, is really a fine regime. It just has a quirk of wanting to commit genocide in Israel. No, it's a truly vile, vile, civilization-hating regime. Jew hatred is its first hatred, but Jew hatred is never the only hatred of the Jew hater. It's only the first hatred. That's why the Jews are the proverbial canaries in the mine. 
the Jew dies, the Jew gets killed, and then the miner says, whoa, there are some really bad fumes, poisonous fumes, in this mine, we better fight them. Hitler was dismissed as the Jew's problem. Turns out he was a lot of people's problem. That's why Iran should be understood as the world's problem. Same with Hamas and Hezbollah. Okay, let's see here. One eight Prager seven seven six. Eight seven seven two four three triple seven six. So some of you are calling in with examples of where haters said kill the group, and uh, the, uh, of course that's true. The, but there are exceptions that prove the rule. They're they're very rare. So one of you is saying that in South Africa they chanted kill the Boers. Yes, that's correct. I'm sure they did. And that Governor Boggs in Missouri issued an order against Mormons to exterminate them, if he did indeed, in the 1800s. Okay, but there is no enduring uh, desire to exterminate Mormons. So, of course, in any battle, kill them all, kill them all. Will be will be stated. It's a unique hatred. I wish it weren't the case. One eight Prager seven seven six. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial free, every single day, become a member of Pragertopia. You'll also get access to fifteen years worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.